So good evening. Congratulations. You have uh, you've done a lot in these few days. Well, actually, you haven't really done anything. <laughs> but a lot has certainly happened, uh, and you've you've been present for a lot. And I was thinking before I got up here that uh, I was thinking about this in in relation to the groups. Really, you all should be giving this talk because you, you've learned a lot. Uh, and, and I've noticed from the groups, you, you also have a lot, of, a lot to say, a lot of insight. And, um, and one of the things I think, for me, which is so um, powerful and compelling about this practice that we're doing, is that all of the learning uh, comes from you. It comes from your direct contact with reality, with the way things are. And so, um, aside from, of course, Howie and I are up here saying lots of things, uh, some of them are good things, but on some level we could just give you the instructions and, and you could sit and, and walk and, and the whole thing would unfold by itself. It does and it has. And that's quite remarkable to me. Um, and once you have a kind of um, sense of how to practice, you're quite independent in the practice. It doesn't mean you can't benefit from being with teachers and learning. And, uh, you know, I continue to learn from teachers. And, uh, of course, that's very useful. And yet the instructions are simple. And as we understand them, uh, we, we gain a certain kind of independence, independence uh, in our own practice, in our lives, and in our, our learning. Um, I, I, did, I spent... I did a, a long retreat in Burma. It was the longest retreat I'd done, and it was about five months long, uh, silent retreat, for the most part silent. Uh, and at the end of my time there, after all of these various experiences and things, uh, the teacher who was there at the time said to me, his, his grand parting words were, now you know how to practice. <laughs> Some part of me was waiting for something a little more elevated. <laughs> really? <laughs> but that was his way, and, and I think there's really something in that. You know, that, that was the important part. Um, so what have we been doing? Well, we've been uh, choosing to be here. And we've been 
gathering ourselves in the present. and attending to what arises from moment to moment. We've been choosing to meet each experience, each arising freshly and in a way equally. Even though we have all kinds of preferences for what we hope to arise. The instructions are, are very simple. And I think just from meeting with you, I know a lot of you are really starting to kind of um, understand that uh, our practice is to meet each moment equally. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the strange, the bizarre, the outrageous. And you've been doing this, uh, choosing again and again to be here. And as we do this, we um, the mind naturally starts to settle. At first we're trying to control it, to barter with it, to bargain with it, uh, to coerce it, to force it. But as we do the simple thing of uh, committing to being here and welcoming each experience, this and this and this. Not running after one thing, not pushing away another. The mind starts to quiet down. It starts to be okay, a little more, a little more okay to be here. we start to gain a confidence in our own capacity to meet life in uh, its myriad forms in which it arises here in the simplified environment, hmm? our own inner experience. So much of what causes the uh, sense of unsettledness that we walk around in much of the time is our attempt to either in grab onto what's happening or push it away. It's the jostle that we feel when something arises and we go, ooh, you know, that's physically unsettling, see? Yeah? Yeah. And we're doing that internally all the time. You know, Un- discomfort arises, ooh, you know, and, or sadness arises, ooh, fear arises. So this very simple meeting, settling, opening, welcoming. Have you noticed? It starts to develop some settledness, some uh, stability of here-ness. 
of a, and over time, an at-homeness here. Here with the stuff of human life, which is the, what's sometimes in Buddhist shorthand called the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. There's probably some gradations between joys and sorrows, but that's like, that's the shorthand. There's a a line from um, uh, a famous uh, group of Buddhist masters known as the uh, the rock band, the Eagles. You know that, uh, and uh, it's it's from the song "Lion Eyes." Do you know that song? Am I going to sing a line of it? <laughs> we sing it together? You can't hide your lion eyes. You know that one? Some of you do. You don't have to know it. <laughs> There's a line in there, a very dharmic line. Every form of refuge has its price. We are taking refuge in presence in awareness. And at first, it feels like anything but a refuge. It feels like a bombardment. Who would want to be present for this? (laughs) There's a reason why we're not present a lot of the time. It's not just, I don't know, I just happen to not be present. No. And you've seen now why it's so compelling to not be present. Because it's hard. We feel stuff. When you have a human body, human mind, we are sensitive beings and we feel. And so the price of this refuge does become a refuge. But the price is that we have to feel. Luckily, the practice, as it deepens and grows, provides us with the capacity to bear, to be, to meet, to hold, to welcome. Uh, Greater and greater levels of... uh, Level is not the right word. To welcome life to greater and greater degrees. Uh, the same teacher who I practiced with in Burma, actually it was the, the main teacher there who I was with for a few months before he left. He left in the hot season. You know, all the important people leave in the hot season. <laughs> and all of the rest of us are left behind to get really uh, the dry to get very hot. Uh, so... But he, he said something which I, I found very affected me. Um, somebody asked him, why does awakening tend to happen in phases? Why does it not usually happen all at once? 
And his response was, because you wouldn't be able to tolerate the pain or the joy. This is a process, a process of opening, of gathering, of cultivating, of steadying, and of learning how to meet life in, in all of its forms. First, we're just meeting our inner life. That's hard enough. There's a lot going on in there. As Howie was saying, you know, the world arises and ceases in this fathom-long body. It's, um, often we have the idea that as we practice, as we grow and become more something, these are ideas, it's more something, it's always kind of vague, we're going to launch off into a realm of like greater and greater bliss. It's just going to get happier and lighter and just more dandy and sort of... uh, And then we'll sort of, at some point, we'll just live in this world of kind of, you know, just ecstasy all the time. Yay! (laughs) You know? and what's so useful, what's so helpful, I think, about this Saida Upandita's little corrective is that he points out truthfully that it expands in both directions. As we open and are, arrive here more and more, we are open to the pain of the world as well, to the the real suffering, the the um, in all of its forms. Uh, as well as the joy and the beauty and the delight that is here. For me, at least, this feels much more appealing on a deep level than the bliss fantasy. Uh, Much more worthy and much more useful and of much greater benefit, I think, to ourselves and to the world. as we are able to sit with our own breath, to connect with our own in-breath and out-breath, as we learn to allow the breath to breathe, that's not even a given. You know, we have to learn that. We have to call it letting the breath breathe. We're learning how to be and we're learning how to be with. Something simple in this case. And yet we're learning something which in this microcosm of the body, which is relevant, applicable, and um, 
uh, I think, important for our outer lives, for our lives in the in the 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 world. This world. We're learning to be with our own sensations, with our own moods and emotions, with our own thoughts. And we're not only learning to be with, we're also seeing. We're seeing into the very nature of our own experience. You've all probably learned many things about your own psyche and the way you do this or that, or patterns that you're seeing. But you're not just seeing patterns, you're also seeing nature, into the nature of your own human experience. You're seeing, as we've been speaking about, how your own experience, sensations, feelings, moods, emotions, thoughts, are arising due to conditions. You've been noticing this. That you're not choosing what is going to arise. It's unfolding due to a variety of conditions. The conditions are changing from moment to moment. And I think some of you have been reporting even that as you notice kind of some of the thoughts arising in your mind and you're seeing them with a more steady and clear awareness, you're starting to see these have, don't actually have that much to do with me. Even the really personal ones. They're patterned in there, sometimes from very early on. You know, some of our organizing principles, are the way we re- see ourselves, they are sometimes j- beliefs, deeply held beliefs which we have carried for so long, they just feel like reality. We don't even recognize them as thought. Some of the ones that Howie was speaking about the other night, I'm not enough, I'm inadequate, I'm broken, I'm incomplete. There's something very powerful about sitting and seeing cause and effect unfold in your own body and mind. How a sensation gives rise to a thought. Thought gives rise to an emotion. Emotion gives rise to more thoughts. There's a series of cause and effect conditions unfolding. Most of it completely beyond your control. It's so useful to see into this impersonal nature of what arises in our own body and mind. That is how he was talking about, it's not you in the way you usually think. And so it starts to feel a little more spacious. There's a little more space around what's arising. And we can start sometimes, I'm not trying to rush you on this, but over time, I'm sort of also pointing to where this goes a little bit. As there's more space, and I noticed this in some of the groups, some of it, there's a little more perspective. And as there's more perspective, 
there's also more humor. It starts to be funnier what our mind is doing. When we're totally identified with it, it is not funny at all. (laughs) At all. It is a tragedy, as we talked about in one of the groups today. Uh, And yet this is, as we gain space from it, and we start to see, hey, this is not... This is not who I am. These are conditioned thoughts that are arising. There is the sense of spaciousness and this freedom that I always spoke about so beautifully and movingly last night. Yeah, this freedom of being without having to be this or that, without having to pin ourselves down in a limited identity. Yeah, a story of who I am. A story is never that satisfying an identity. Yeah, we're kind of in, resting in our own being and awareness. This kind of vastness. And you don't have to feel like, oh, I felt the vastness. It's not that. Sometimes you don't even notice that there's a little more space. It's so gradual, you don't even notice. Until in your life at some point, something happens and you notice, hey, I wasn't, it didn't used to be that I could be with that kind of thing. Or this, this would have totally undone me. And now, you know what? I can be here. So, you don't have to notice the spaciousness, but it happens naturally as we sit present and meet reality again and again, as Howie was just saying, reality. Just life, as it unfolds moment to moment. Life becomes our teacher. We are learning from direct contact. That's the kind of learning you can't unlearn. That's the kind of learning that gets in your bones. There are some things you can't unknow. And when you have this kind of experience, very different than reading or hearing about something. You you know something. So the spaciousness around our own being is a wonderful thing, even to a little degree. A little bit of freedom in this area is a big deal. So it's not like you have to like, hold out for the whole enchilada, you know? It's like a little bit is like profound. A little bit of a loosening of that tight little sense of me is, is big. That's why the Buddha could say the Dharma is good in the beginning, it's good in the middle, and it's good in the end. <laughs> you know? That sounds so good, doesn't it? Like, what a good thing. It's, uh, um, and an interesting thing happens as we grow more spacious around our own experience. As you know, when it's less personal, actually we can be with it more. It's weird. As, and so it's, ironically, we can become more ourselves. You, can, you become more, your, at least in my experience, more yourself, not less yourself. Yourself meaning, as how we also spoke about, this is just this particular constellation. Yeah with your little quirks and things, 
it's okay because it's not like this is what I got. <laughs> this is what I. This is it. You know, as this is it, it's not very satisfying. But interestingly, as we get, you know, there's a little more spaciousness around this and we see into the nature of our own heart and mind, we also understand, I think, implicitly that other people are the same. It's not just true for you. Also, other people are arising due to causes and conditions. Their form, their shape, their emotions, their capacities, their thoughts, even. They're not... You know, this gives rise to compassion and understanding. It doesn't mean you like everybody, but there's a sense it's like, oh, you know, people uh, are being driven around by their minds, you know. And when somebody's really being driven around by their mind, sometimes they're really hard to be with. Yeah. And, you know, delusion and rigid self-view ain't pretty, you know? And so, but, but as we kind of, this is sort of what's, I think, so, one of the things that's so beautiful about attending to our own experience is that then we, we, attend, we can attend to others and we kind of already have a basis for it. In, actually, in the Buddha's instruction, the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness out of which much of the practice that we do at Spirit Rock uh, uh, comes, after each section on how to be uh, aware of the body, sensations, moods and emotions, mind, mind states and uh, other phenomena, uh, after each section there's a little refrain. It says, One contemplates this internally, one contemplates it externally, and one contemplates it both internally and externally. So, I have sensations, and you have sensations, huh? You're being you're being kind of moved around by your sensations. It's actually very interesting to see. You can you can be mindful of other people's moods and their emotions. I mean, you don't necessarily know exactly what's happening in there, unless you have your psychic powers. Mm-hmm. But when you can be with your own fear, it's easier to be with another person's fear you know, without having to fix it, without having to make it go away. You, know, you can be with their sadness, you can be with their joy, you can be with their anger. And that's a very useful thing. You can be with it without freaking out, basically, and without being having to react. And it's our capacity to be with, as we've been talking about, in this harmonious way, this balanced way, which allows for what's sometimes called appropriate response, skillful action. If we can't be with something, we cannot see it clearly. When we can't see it clearly, we cannot act skillfully. So this kind of is a kind of speaking to this in part because this is the bridge between what we're doing on the cushion and and how we carry it into our lives. Hmm? 
The practice is not fundamentally different when you leave Spirit Rock, and we'll talk about this later. The conditions are different. But awareness is with you just as powerfully. You're taking your mind and your body with you. And this cultivation that we're doing here, it can continue. It doesn't have to stop. It's just the forms that are changing. And as we've been seeing, awareness, this basic, natural, ordinary awareness that we are, meets what arises. And as we are, as we've done, you know, attending, choosing to be here with the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of the ups and downs, we start to see something that maybe we haven't seen before that actually the common factor of all experience is awareness. Awareness is the common denominator. Um, And I actually teach it this way sometimes. Uh, Sometimes when I'm trying to explain to people how to practice or give an example of how to practice, uh, as this insight came to me when I was helping, when my older son was in fourth grade, and I was helping him with his homework. I had an insight about how to talk about awareness uh, because we were doing fractions and I was trying to help him add and subtract fractions. And I had to, of course, like read the book to remember how to do it. <laughs> how do you do that again? But then I figured it out. And the thing about fractions is the, the hard part, the part that involves work is finding the common denominator, right? Do you, anybody remember this? <laughs> okay, good. You guys are ahead of me. Find the common denominator. So, because, yeah, if they have different denominators, you can't add them or subtract them. Maybe you can, but it's beyond fourth graders' capacity. <laughs> and mine. Uh, so you do a little work to find the common denominator. Once you have the common denominator, it's really easy. You just add the numerators, subtract the numerators. It's quite easy. And practice is just like this. The hard part and the important part is finding the denominator. The denominator is always awareness. So it's also the easy part. Yeah. As long as you have awareness in the denominator, it doesn't matter what's in the numerator. Isn't that true? That's what we've been teaching, right? Fear, sadness, pain, joy, pleasure. What our work is, is we've got to find the denominator. I'm aware with this. Okay. So, yeah. And so that's a way to practice, but it's also something to recognize. Oh, awareness, the common denominator of all experience. All of this unfolding, as we've been pointing out all week, this is all arising in awareness. It's not just little sensations in the body. It's the world as we experience it. Yeah? Arising in your awareness. Quotes. Yeah? Uh, So in this way, it's, it's not only is it portable, you can't get away from it. You can't. Your whole life is awareness. And everything that arises in it, 
when we're only identified with the objects of awareness, the stuff that arises in awareness, uh, it's a certain kind of bondage. And yet as we see the impermanence of phenomena, mind and body, and life unfolding and changing, we start to release what how we referred to as that tight fist of grasping. Yeah? We start to be able to let life unfold within awareness. Yeah? This is play, this play of appearances. And we start to rest and abide more and more as uh, being itself, awareness itself. Uh, so a lot of where people get confused is they're just attached to forms. You know, the forms are very useful, and I, uh, I, that's why we teach the forms, we have the forms. And yet the forms are transcended by something that's always present, and this is your most basic nature. And it's important we don't forget this, or that we remind ourselves again and again. Hmm? So we're not locating ourselves in any particular experience or phenomena. You know, we're always trying to locate and identify with something. I am a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a sister, I'm a brother, I'm a yogi, you know? Now I left all my other identities, now I'm a yogi. That's the best identity, you know? Uh, And so much of the practice is just to keep seeing identity arise, as we've been talking about, and boop, boop, how we cannot build a reliable identity on any of these things, because these identities come and go due to conditions. It's like, yeah, how we said, building a house in quicksand. Um, So a lot of the teachings are actually, and sometimes when you work with teachers in various traditions, a lot of what they do, we're very kind and gentle here, but sometimes they're really trying to, you know, point out where you're identified, you know, and kind of cut it so that you can see, like, oh, don't build a house on that. You know, and uh, sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's uncomfortable, you know, having somebody say, point out look where you're building a little, a little self-importance, <laughs> you know? We like to build self-importance. And uh, I, I used to practice with this, uh, this Chan teacher in, um, in New York. His name was uh, Master Sheng Yen. And, uh, and he was a great, a very, a very great teacher. And, and I remember, uh, because he was, I kind of regarded him as such a master, I wanted you know, I kind of wanted to share with him the things that I'd experienced on his retreat that I thought were important. Yeah, I wanted, you know, I wanted a reflection, like, yeah. And so I shared with him this experience I had, which I thought was really pretty great. Uh, and I was, you know, looking forward to getting a little nod from him or something. 
and uh, we had a translator. And uh, what he said through the translator was, what you experienced was thought farting. (laughs) I was not expecting that. But it was like, boop, <laughs> you know, and uh, and I really <laughs> very great, grateful <laughs> for that. Makes a good story too. Right? Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's good There's, when we have awareness, we can catch ourselves doing it too. You know, and that's it was very. It's a good protection. You know, just sort of see when we're building. Because yeah. even if you're building a great self, it, it's very unstable. And so then we have to protect it and defend it and kind of make sure nobody messes with it because we kind of know it's not really that reliable. So, you know, when we can just not be anybody in a way, not do that, it, it's a lot more stable. You know, but then we can even build an identity out of that. You know, like there's that story about the, I forgot the technical term, some of you might know this, uh, the story about the, the rabbi and the cantor, cantor's the one who sings the prayers, and the rabbi gets up in front of the uh, congregation and he gives the speech, and he says, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I'm just... I'm nothing. There's nothing important about me. I'm a complete zero. And everybody in the congregation is saying, like, wow, you know, our rabbi is so profound. He's so humble. He's so deep, you know. And, uh, and then the cantor is sort of inspired by that, and he gets up and he goes, me too. I've never, I'm nobody. I'm nothing, you know. I'm, I just, there's nothing about me that's special. And everybody's like, wow, you know, cantor is, he too is so, you know, humble. And then the, I forget the, the Yiddish name from Seamus, you know this? Yeah, the Seamus, the custodian. He's in the back hearing this, and he he's so gets so excited, and he runs up and he says, Me too! I'm a nobody! I'm nothing! Nobody thinks I'm important! I, I'm a complete zero! And, uh, and the rabbi looks at the cantor and he says, Look who thinks he's a nobody. <laughs> so... That's a fun, yeah. But you get the point. It's like you can, we can do that uh, out of anything. Anything. And so, so this is our practice, is to notice again and again and just to let be. The beauty of letting be is that everything can be here. You know, practice is not dependent on things not being the way they are. And in that way, it's reliable. It's uh, uh, possible. Um, uh, I'll just share a couple more little stories that are kind of point to this, just because they're fun. Uh, Also, there's a great... um, uh, Zen master, uh, the Japanese call him Joshu, and I, I, I don't know how to pronounce the Chinese. He was Chinese. Uh, 
Shaoshu, uh, maybe, something like that. That's how it's spelled, but I'm not saying that correctly. I know that. Um, uh, from the ninth century, uh, and he was known as kind of the, uh, they said his, his tongue emanated light because he was very witty in, um, and, uh, in his kind of dharmic uh, back and forth with people. His, he, he kind of had all the kind of right answers in the dharma combat, and he was also, you know, came at it from angles, unexpected angles. And, um, and so this is just, again, to speak to uh, the same point somebody asked him once, what about when it's difficult to attain the highest peak? And his response was, I'm not on a high peak. And another one with him, somebody asked him, what is the depth of the deep? And his response was, what is the seven of seven and the eight of eight? I'm looking for signs. Of <laughs> like the fractions. Hey. Yes. Yeah. He's saying, don't make yeah, the depths of the deep. We think eight is deeper than seven. Right? But from the standpoint of awareness, this is not even about deep. What is the seven of seven and the eight of eight? Oh, you know, or you could say, "What is the tree of tree and the rock of the rock, or the what is the Howie of Howie?" <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, I just want to say a few words about relationship. Because what we're, what we're developing is, uh, in a way, it's, as I said, it's process. The process, of pro- even though awareness doesn't have process, awareness just is. Yeah, it doesn't develop. It doesn't, you can't make it more. You can't get more. You can't get less. You can't, you know, you can't hurt it. You can't, uh, you know, as how he was saying, doesn't, the bird doesn't leave a footprint on it. Yeah. Uh, but our practice on a relative level develops. Yeah? And we are learning to be in relationship to life and things as they are, and that is a process. Like any relationship. Yeah? Relation, you don't just walk up to somebody and you, you don't just have a relationship. You, know, you, you, you have to get to know each other, right? <laughs> is, that, is that how relationships happen? Yeah. Uh, so we always want to have like instant relationship with everything in our own life. You know, like how come I can't just we come to a retreat, we hear the instructions. How come I can't just be with everything? You know, no, that's not the way it is. We have to practice. We have to meet each you know one thing after another, and each one's a, it's a little different. We don't have a relationship yet, so we're starting to get to intimate with our own experience. Uh, even some of the really dark and scary places in our being, in our psyche. 
uh, and we understand from what we're doing the the we understand the the way you know and uh, if we need a reminder we can always read beauty and the beast <laughs> does anybody remember the beauty and the beast the story yeah What's the kind of lesson of Beauty and the Beast? Beast is beautiful. beautiful. (laughs) I like that. Beast is beautiful. That'd be a great bumper sticker. Beast is beautiful. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, in a way. But I think also the, the lesson is you have to kiss the beast, right? Isn't that... But, but you don't just go around kissing beasts because you'll get killed, right? You, you have to develop a relationship. You know, she didn't just kiss the beast right away, right? It's too scary. Is this making sense? Am I, am I out there on my own somewhere? Yeah, no, it's okay, yeah. So, just making sure we're laughing with and not laughing at it. So... Yeah, you kiss the beast, but, but you develop a relationship. For, so then at some point, the beast is actually, you could kind of like want to kiss it. Right? That's the thing about beauty and the beast. It's, like, it's not just, you know, that, I don't think that would work. That wouldn't transform the, the beast. So I'll leave that one there. <laughs> But the relationship part, developing relationship. And, and, you know, we're so in a rush all the time in our culture. It's like we don't have time for relationship. It's just like, you know, you know, get me the instant thing. But no, that's our process. We were kind of... Uh, I had this experience once I was, uh, when I was, um, I was uh, younger. <laughs> and I, I was in Ecuador and uh, I, and and while there, I have a friend who is from the uh, kind of Amazon region, uh, the uh, um, uh, eastern part of Ecuador that borders Peru. And uh, so we went to visit his family in the uh, in the Oriente in the, the kind of uh, forest. And and he's. Uh, 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 sh- from the Shuar Indians, uh, it's a kind of a group there, and so we were kind of like went in to visit his family. We had to like walk, take a bus a long way, and then walk in, and and uh, it was really a different world than I had um, been in before. And we went and did all kinds of things that they're doing there, you know, they're hunting and fishing and. Uh, and they, f- you know, use some kind of modern means and some traditional ones. Uh, and um, and so one day I was with them, and they were fishing using this kind of vine, which they they beat, and it kind of goes into a pulp, and then it releases a kind of a toxin into the water. And and the the women go upstream, and they beat this vine and put it in the water, and then the the it stuns the fish, and then the fish kind of float at the surface, but they're still alive. And then the men kind of gather them up. I was terrible at this. Every time I tried to grab a fish, they'd wake up and go. So maybe my Buddhist karma, you know, my karma was sort of preserved in there, but uh, uh, that's a joke. Uh, but um, 
anyway, the story has nothing to do with the fishing. That was just like background. But um, at one point during this process, I, the river didn't move quickly, so it, it, would, it was quiet. Uh, I had to pee. So I walked into the forest like 15 feet, and I did what I had to do, and then I turned around to go back, and I had no idea what direction I came from. And it was amazing, because I was so close to where... I knew I, hadn't, I had not gone far. I couldn't tell. Everything looked the, looked the same to me. And I had a moment of, like, panic. Even though... Yeah, so a moment of panic, thinking... It was just a quick thought. I was like, I could walk to Peru and not come across a road. <laughs> you know? But then, of course, I realized, they're like 15 feet away. So I went... <laughs> That's what they do, you know. Theirs sounds better than mine. Woo! And then I heard, woo! Right there. It's like, I was like, oh, I was embarrassed, you know. So I walked over. I'm just hooing, nothing, no big deal. I'm not lost or anything, you know. But it's, it's an interesting thing about that, about being in such an, uh, an un, uh, foreign environment, because I didn't understand anything about it. I couldn't identify anything. And if I had been lost there, I wouldn't have known how to do anything. I wouldn't know what was food and what was poison or what was shelter. I, I just, you know. And, but they, that's home. You know, they know how to do everything there. Everything that they see has meaning. It is part of their world. And so, in a way, I'm building a very kind of um, long-winded metaphor. Part of our process as we sit with ourselves is we kind of, at first, when we're inside of our own experience, it's kind of like that. Because even though we've been with ourselves our whole life, we also haven't, like I said the other night. So we're in here and it's like, what? Where did that come from? Where do I go? You know, how do I relate to this? What is this? Is this, is this intuition? Is this craziness? Is this, you know, is this my true self? Is this like... You know, and as we sit with ourselves, I really feel like it's like we become indigenous to our own experience. We kind of like becoming native to our own heart and mind, you know? And so that we, and then it's, it's like we know how to navigate. You know, we know what's skillful, what's not. We know what's, you know, our own kind of uh, just patterned in insanity and what is our clarity, you know? And, and, uh, and that process doesn't happen overnight. That's a, uh, it's really useful to have a long-term view, as Nashan was saying in the yoga today. You know? This is not a, just a weekend workshop. This is a life's I won't even want to say work. It's a lifetime's way. And but what a worthy thing. Hmm? What a worthy thing to come home, to be home, to rest and reside in our true home. Hmm? And then we can walk in the world 
at home and we can see what needs to be done and we can have the confidence to attend to it, to meet life, to meet other beings. And we don't have to be so afraid, so afraid of uh, loving, so afraid of losing, and so afraid of, uh, you know, failing or succeeding. Uh, and and this is uh, why, on a very deep level, I think all of us really feel like this practice is for the benefit of all beings, inherently. It is inherently for the benefit of all beings. It can't help but benefit the world. Those you live with, those you around you, it doesn't have to be in some grandiose way. It could be in a very, very modest way. And so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. I remember after, uh, you know, some time of practicing, I'd gotten really into this and sat a whole lot of retreats. And I asked a, a friend of mine from college, a buddy of mine, I said, you know, I sort of was experiencing the world so differently than I had been before. It felt like a new life. You know, I kind of I had a sense of what people mean when they, when they talk about feeling born again. Not as, I don't mean like as in a belief, but like I felt like I had been, it was like a new life in a way. And um, I remember asking this friend of mine, I said, do I seem different to you? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he said, he said, you seem softer. That, that also wasn't what I was expecting or hoping for. <laughs> So after my initial disappointment, really, I don't seem like something, <laughs> like really something. Anyway, after my initial disappointment, I was like, you know what, I am softer. Not softer as in weaker, but it's like a, but softer. I didn't have to be so held, so defended. Uh, and so it's, it was both, for me, it was both like softer and I felt stronger, but not that kind of other strength. It was the kind of, uh, it's, it's funny, it's hard to talk about that, but um, I think, you know, as I was saying the other night, it's like um, when we have this capacity to meet and hold and welcome experience, it's like we, then awareness becomes our our home and our our kind of protection. You know, uh, we can rely on on our own clarity much more than we can rely on kind of being held back or braced. You know, and sometimes we have those patterns, and they're developed in there. Not as I was saying, they're not random. We have had to brace, we have had to protect, and we've been doing the best we can. You know, so it's not that any of our patterning is wrong or bad. 
You know, we, we, are, it's, it, we need to see where it comes from. It comes from life and from really trying to get by here. And yet as we are able to meet ourselves in this way, we can start to open and soften and uh, uh, I'm kind of searching for the right word or phrase, and I, I'm not finding it for being uh, in the world, and yet we're not separate from the world. Yeah? We, and, and, and so I just, maybe I'll close tonight by saying, you know, you've done so much this week, uh, and, you know, we're all very touched and moved by you. And may it continue. And may you continue. Uh, continue going nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know? And all of your great activity and all the amazing things you will do in the world, I think, will flow from you. You know, from your being. Your being you, who you are. Uh, and your own capacity to be. Let's sit for a few uh, minutes, just a couple minutes. May we continue to look deeply into the nature of our own hearts and minds. And may we see things, meet things, meet ourselves as we are. And may this clear and sustained knowing free us for the sake of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.